Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast, off-season edition. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. Uh, as we get you set for some uh, news and notes, uh, reviewing the teams from the past year, one thing we got right, one thing we got wrong, and one thing each team needs as we look into the 2021 season. Uh, the off-season is uh, slowly percolating, uh, slowly simmering, uh, some uh, little snippets, some uh, potential rumors, news reports, uh, things that are there. We have uh, front office changes. We have teams that are eyeing free agents and uh, starting to get their um, big boards uh, set up for off-season activity. Still a few weeks away from anything major, uh, but uh, Colton Wong is already off the list. So we have at least uh, a couple of things slowly taking place. But uh, we'll get you set up for uh, a lot of things here as we do an overall review of uh, each team uh, and things looking what they're looking forward to with this upcoming year. So uh, with all that being said, before we get to news and notes, uh, how's life in your neck of the woods? Enjoyable. It's been relatively easygoing and you know, now we're hitting Thanksgiving, which is not easygoing. Usually it's kind of hectic and chaotic, but you know, this is the COVID year Thanksgiving. So it's switched my plans from what it usually is, but I'm still looking forward to it. I know we're not supposed to, but I'm getting together with, it's only a group of six. So I feel like that's still close. It, it just depends which state you're in, I whether know. you're legal or illegal. And uh, and of course, you know it. it uh, that number is the all the all connected together. Whether it's uh, you're gonna all gonna get it or not. That's, no, that's, that's well, all six of us get it. If hopefully not, I the one of us who is currently I shouldn't say that. There's two of us who are currently working. So, and he is one of them is quarantining already. And as far as I know, the other one that has to go to work in the day, no, well, she's not. So hopefully she doesn't have it. So the rest of us are safe. I, I. Uh, all that you ever ask for is be safe and common sense. Uh, that's the uh, that's been if, the, if you put if that would have been in safe, if that would have been in sense like set up back in March like wash your hands just be smart. I feel like we'd be a lot further along in this process, but you know it took us a while to start using common sense. But that's that's for a different political podcast someday. <laughs> I think that one would get me kicked off in many different ways, yeah, but probably. Uh, as always, our uh, our baseball podcast, The Heater, is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn oh, yeah. for all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice and for your holiday munching needs. So I shouldn't make that announcement official yeah. here. I think we've sort of mentioned it before, but uh, December 4th and 5th, that's what we're recording this. It's the 23rd of November, so we'll probably do one podcast, I would think, between now and then. But December 4th and 5th, it's a Friday and a Saturday. You can order popcorn online at Facebook and uh, River Creek Popcorn and then pick it up at my house in Rock Springs, right next door the popcorn wagon is usually located. And that night, if you're in Richland Center, Wisconsin, which is right by where we're recording this, I'm going to be hanging out with Dan for his church's event. So you can pick up the, our popcorn there too. A couple of different locations coming up to uh, get that that hankering. And in fact, uh, that hankering has been growing uh, in this area. You've had to uh, do an, an unexpected second uh, batch to uh, supply you a demand. That, huh? Man, you are on the ball with all these things, dude. You are on the point. But yeah, there's so much demand for caramel corn, caramel corn that I didn't plan to make more of it. But when the 
when I figured out that I could make, cause we have to make roughly 18 pounds every time. Otherwise it's just not worth it. So when I figured out that I could make 36 pounds and probably get rid of it all as of today, I decided to make a second batch. So like I said, my investigative reporting you're, is uh, knows no bounds. That's within hours, dude. I didn't, you're on point. So let's uh, tackle news and notes as we uh, look at uh, a bunch of different things uh, taking place in the, the world of baseball. First, uh, this time of year is usually when front office uh, uh, things take place from teams that were uh, already starting their search and now wanting to finalize it and get it done before we're into the, the full offseason uh, from uh, trades and free agent acquisitions. So there's a couple of teams that have finalized their new GMs. Can you tell us that? Let's start with the Angels. It's the one that didn't get nearly as much fanfare because we'll get to the other one in a little bit. But the Angels hired Perry Manazian. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he'd been in the front office with the Braves. And as of a report a little bit earlier today that I saw, he's already scooped up a few other front office executives from the Braves. So Braves, well-run organization. Angels, we think they're going to be willing to spend. So good, good. enjoy your time. They just need some good baseball sense to go with an owner that's willing to spend. Uh, they, it just It's never been spent wisely. And so now let's see what they can, uh, can do with that. So uh, good luck in the new chapter over there in uh, L.A. Let's, now, now let's talk the big one here. The Marlins hired Kim Ong. Uh, she is a lifer in baseball. She's been in baseball probably as long as I've been alive. And she becomes the first female executive to be hired to that high of a position, the official general manager, and doing it for the Marlins. She was in, I believe she was just in the baseball front office, but she has worked with the Yankees and two or three other teams over the last couple decades. So plenty of experience. That's not a question. Plenty qualified she will do a great job. The Marlins, surprisingly competitive this year. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit here, but uh, seems like a great hire. Yeah, that's an excellent fit when, uh, you know, and uh, with the Marlins, they have uh, an inexperienced group uh, when they decided to part ways uh, with their lead uh, front office executive. Uh, and she brings a wealth of experience from a variety of different backgrounds, not only big market uh uh, front offices uh, from the Dodgers to the Yankees, uh, as well as working for the uh, MLB offices. So she's fully experienced in the inner workings of uh, everything here uh, and given her first chance to uh, run an organization. Uh, and yeah, I think that's a, a great fit. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of talk that's been out there about the first uh, female uh, lead executive uh, and uh Great for, for those things uh, as well, but for, for us here, we like to focus on, on the, the baseball side of things, and she fits that completely, massively qualified, overdue, uh, and now giving a chance to uh, uh, lead a new chapter for an exciting young team in baseball, one of the most exciting young teams that has a, a wealth of, of young pitching talent and other talent that's there. How can she help them take that next step? Uh, in what is a very challenging division. Uh, that's going to be the, uh, the storyline to follow as we see what they do this offseason and in the next couple of offseason off seasons as she builds that franchise. She said, I mean, in her opening press conference, she straight up said, my goal is to bring the championship in baseball back to Miami. We got one in basketball recently, and your football team's getting better. So, yeah, time to get a baseball championship here. She's got the focus, and she's ready to go, and that's that's great for them. And then the surprising one, I think, was – Theo Epstein steps down from his position leading the Cubs. Theo Epstein famously has broken the two most famous curses in our game in both Boston and Chicago. So if he's truly done, he says he's truly done. Uh, 
five years, you'd expect to see him in the Hall of Fame because he's that level of a general manager. But I, I truly don't believe that he's done forever in baseball. I find that hard to believe. I thought I was seeing some quotes out there where he, the plan was uh, he's taking a year off. He's not doing oh. anything baseball-related this year and then reevaluate things in, a, in another year. I suppose it depends what he finds in this year that uh, takes up his time, uh, whether yeah. he wants to pursue something like that, or if he, if he still has the itch to return to a, a baseball front office, he will have no shortage of suitors in one year's time. Uh, he will still get a premium gig uh, and paid lots of money uh, to do so. So the ball is completely in his court as he takes a one-year recharge and see where he ends up, but... Uh, uh, we could definitely debate at a, at a different off-season podcast on where does Epstein rank in uh, just most iconic front office executives. I mean, to break both legendary curses, yeah. uh, to be the guy that's yeah. the architect for both. Uh, I mean, some of those are the biggest storylines of nostalgia in uh, MLB history uh, from the, the the Cubs and Red Sox, and uh, to be the guy there. Well, let's put it this way. I don't think he'll ever have to pay for a drink in a bar in Boston or nope. Chicago for the rest of his life. No, and he's still – he's kind of the one – now, Billy Bean is the one that gets famous for bringing sabermetrics in, and rightfully so, he, he did it. But Theo Epstein is the one who's kind of brought it to the next level, and now you see all these sabermetrician type of guys getting hired in these GM positions who maybe no one have – any experience in baseball or if Kim Ong has 30 years in before she gets hired, these guys went to Harvard and got, you know, degrees in mathematics, but because of their massive qualifications that way, they're getting hired for baseball positions. And that's Theo Epstein kind of brought that into the current era where we were in. Yeah. You have the, the Billy Bean and the Epstein group. You have the, uh, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays when they were bought by, uh, former Goldman Sachs executives mm -hmm. and, uh, had their, uh, uh, the hedge fund guys that are coming in and the mathematics uh, background, uh, uh, Andrew Freeman uh, carried that in uh, with that. And now you still have that infiltration as the Mets are looking at, uh, I think, Bobby Heck, if I'm saying, remember that right? Heck, uh, yeah, something like uh, that. That's another one from the, the, the Rays uh, Sabermetrics uh, group. Mm -hmm. And uh, just interesting to see that continuing to go through. And so you have, it's always, everyone follows the trends. And, and so now you have all this grouping there. And that's why, even more, why I'm thankful that uh, uh, the Marlins' new uh, GM is getting a chance after being just a baseball lifer uh, and getting that opportunity there. So we'll see what happens uh, with uh, with that as well. Apparently, though, you told me that within the last few hours, because I didn't have this in my news and notes, the Cubs have replaced Theo Epstein sort of from within. Uh, Jed Hoyer was already the Cubs' president, I believe. They're, I think essentially they're GM and now made uh, executive of okay. uh, baseball operations. So he was the GM, so now he's just got full control. And and obviously the Cubs didn't want to change anything. They, they're they having a weird offseason anyways. There's going to be some changes, I think. Most people think that we can jump into one rumor here quick. Chris Bryant's rumored to be traded to Washington. Now he's been rumored to be traded for half a dozen years almost, it seems like. it's Ever since he won the MVP award, he's sort of ended up being on trading blocks, it seems. But... I think there's going to be some changes in Chicago, but not in the front office. 
that uh, allows them to have a, a better understanding of their group. And then with someone still new to the position, you can make changes that uh, maybe you otherwise wouldn't. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Hoyer's obviously qualified, former GM of the San Diego Padres, assistant GM with the Red Sox. Uh, he was brought in with Epstein as part of that, and now he takes over the, the show there, he takes over the reins. Moved up a position, essentially. He moves up from yep. GM to president now. We'll see if they fill GM or if he gets to do both. We've seen some people been passed with doing both before, so that's interesting. We have uh, awards to uh, to look at here. MVP awards for the past season have been uh, announced. Officially, we were right on both of those, I think. Uh, Jose Abreu, I've been saying since the middle of the year, deserved the American League MVP. He got his first one, and... Very deserving this year. We'll see how we've talked about the White Sox issues, so we'll see how they they do this offseason. And Freddie Freeman got his first, so I believe it was the first time I saw it since first baseman carried. Yeah, this. that the first baseman won it since sometime early in the nineties, and both of them were the most deserving, so they got it right. And uh, Mike Clevenger signs a, a two-year deal, but there's a couple of catches with that. So injuries time, actually. So it didn't seem like it. Mike Clevenger, if you remember, he was had a sore shoulder after he came to San Diego, but then he came back and pitched two, three innings in one of the playoff games and left because his control was off and he wasn't throwing very hard. And maybe now we know why. So he signs a two-year, $11.5 million contract extension. And they're like, oh, great. This is good news if you're a Padres fan. And then it's like in the small print, in the small print, they say, oh, but just so you know, he's having Tommy John surgery and he's going to miss all of next season. Very surprising. And you just want hope that it wasn't those few innings they tried to squeeze out of his arm at the end there. But he'll be there, but you will not see him next year. So fire up Mackenzie Gore finally, I hope. Yeah, the, this is a big blow to the Padres with they're trying to make their next level ascent. And uh, he was going to be a key piece to that progression. They were still going to be... Uh, dark horse candidates for Trevor Bauer and for making a major move yet uh, to uh, battle with the uh, uh, with the uh, the Dodgers and uh, and, and their rumors that we'll get to in a little bit but uh, yeah huge blow to the the Padres as far as taking that next step in this next year they're still going to be good but they need to be great and that's going to be the the challenge with that big missing component there let's Uh, talk a Dodgers injury let's talk one of the Dodgers injuries remember Cody Bellinger jumped at the very end, he hit a home run, and I think it was game six of the NLCS, I believe. Could have been the World Series. It's been a while already. But he jumped in a celebration, and you could clearly see him grab his shoulder, and he stayed in the game. But we all said, well, then after that, they started celebrating by kicking each other because it was smarter. But he underwent that soldier. He needed soldier surgery in the end. And so on Tuesday, he had to repair that dislocated right shoulder. And the projection I saw from, I think it was Jeff Passan, said, 10 weeks with rehab expected to be ready by spring training in February, but uh, that's you you never want to have to deal with your shoulder if you don't have to. So hopefully it's all recovered and he goes back and is back to the MVP form of a couple years ago. Shoulders are always uh, injuries that make people nervous in any sport. Uh, We've baseball has figured out Tommy John. It's never a, it's 90% of the time it's never a career-threatening thing or, or impacts your future moving forward. Some people even report that it, their arm gets better afterwards. So, uh, But shoulders are different, uh, and that can even take a couple of years for severe shoulder uh, issues. Hopefully it wasn't anywhere near that. With this, it, it sounds on the smaller side, uh, and that's a good thing and some good uh, rehab to get him back going. But, yeah, the shoulder always makes you 
nervous. Uh, let's talk suspensions. Uh, one of them was big in the past week. The other one is a footnote that just gets to be uh, done with. Uh, and so let's talk the, the season-long suspension. So was it two seasons ago, uh, the first year he got to the Mets after the fleecing that the Mariners pulled on the Mets for Jared Kelenic. Robinson Which Cano- just gets worse with this. Every, well, yes yeah, and does. no. Let, let's, let's, uh, we'll yeah. talk about that in a minute. Okay. So Robinson Cano gets caught for the second time taking steroids, PEDs. He got nabbed. I did not see which PED he got nabbed with. I don't really care. But for whatever reason, he took him again after having yet another. He had a good season last year. I was very excited for Robinson Cano. But now he will sit out this entire season, and I believe he's 36. I'd have to check that. He's getting up there now. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is the end of Robinson Cano's very good career. But at this point, it's been tainted twice by steroids. So no Hall of Fame for you. I suspect at least one more uh, payday that he's going to look to get out of this after losing this one. Uh, my guess, you're still under contract no matter how poorly. 38 yeah, already. He's, so he's close, you're closer you're to that talking, 40 marker. You're getting 40 after this. That's that's a, that's pretty old. So we'll see if he plays again. But uh, I, I think you can count out playing well again. I think yeah. that's where we are right now. And to have a PED issue twice in three years uh, – that it, many other issues involved with uh, with that as well. The only nice thing to uh, Cano uh, for the Mets, uh, as this deal looks so much better in, in Seattle's favor, uh, not only do they clear salary off their books, but then they actually get like a top 10 prospect in all of baseball uh, with this. Uh, at, for the thanks of that effort, we're going to give you a bunch of uh, money that's going to be useless on your payroll, uh, and you're going to give us a top 10 prospect. I think everyone makes that deal. Uh, but the only thing that's helpful right now is now the new Mets owner has an ex- extra $25 million bucks to uh, to spend uh, in this year's uh, market, and he's already indicated he wants to spend, and now they can actually get something for that money. Uh, it does make some Yankees fans nervous that it would be very easy to replace Cano with DJ LeMahieu, uh, but I think by all case and purposes, I don't see him leaving pinstripes. Uh, plus, Jeff McNeil plays second base very well. You actually get rid of a glut issue there and uh, put things more in order. Move Jeff McNeil to second base and get an out. You want to spend money, get an outfielder. Just go sign George Springer. I think that's still still the one I think that's most likely to sign with the Mets is George Springer. So we, we debated it last time whether or not they would sign the two biggies. If you would go get mm-hmm. uh, J T. Realmuto and uh, and then George Springer, well, now you have the money to do that easily. Yep. Uh, by getting rid of Cano's salary, you can afford both. Yeah, in some ways, you're right. In some ways, they almost lucked out that he got suspended, which is weird to say from a guy who hit 315 last year, but you don't have to pay him anymore. And that uh, those big bucks can help you get the two big things because you want to make a New York splash. You want to be relevant on the pages again, relevant to the media, relevant in uh, tickets when that eventually gets there. Uh, might we'll still see. be another we'll see. another year before we get fully back in that area. I'm just rooting for a full season of baseball, period. 162 games, I think, is what I'm hoping for, too. And no weird COVID stops, which... We'll get to some of that in a second here, too. But And so we have one more suspension with uh, Aroldis Chapman. I want to hear your feelings because, okay, I'll, I'll say the news here. So officially the suspension, the Chapman one for throwing behind Mike Brousseau. I don't even remember. Was it in September, early September? doesn't matter. Anyways, it was reduced from three games to two games. And you basically said it was going to happen. So let's hear it. 
I'll answer in the the way that a race fan did on Twitter by saying uh, Mike Rousseau already served justice on this sentence. So uh, <laughs> anything else is just icing on the cake. Yeah. So Chapman's going to miss the first two games of next season. It there are going to be games in April. Who knows if they'll even get a save opportunity. The, the, only, the only nice thing that I can already picture of where my schadenfreude comes out uh, is uh, the first two games of the year. So they're looking at uh, the new year. Mm-hmm. And with him being suspended, what is the media and uh, the TV when the Yes Network gets on and says, now Roldis Chapman's not going to be here for the first two days, what are they going to show as a result of that? That's so true. Uh, the uh, the added shot in Freud of having to see Mike Brousseau's uh, shot uh, the head, uh, the head uh, hunting, uh, and the reminding of Chapman's two-game suspension. So that will be enough of a, a smile on my face uh, when next year rolls around. You get to enjoy the fact that Chapman sat two games, but more so that the Rays won and they beat him in the playoffs. So Just you to can't see be a too Rousseau upset. Shot again is uh, good enough. You can't for be me. too upset about that. Uh, what I'm also enjoyable uh, for this time of year is, is rumors, and we have a couple of big ones that have uh, started to percolate this week uh, and. What's interesting is normally when you hear rumors, you take it with a grain of salt, but both of these make sense. Let's start with the biggest one here. And we all, well, we were all talking about Francisco Lindor maybe going to the Dodgers, which who knows. Uh, They said, well, we actually have a need at third, which we, I think we all agree. They do have a, technically have a need at third because Justin Turner's gone. So we all thought, well, maybe Lindor and they move Seager to third. Well, they said, no, we see that there's a hall of fame level third baseman available and he has been available for a while. So the Dodgers are linked to Nolan Arenado. Now, that would be an NL West in-division trade, but the money is certainly available. I believe he has an opt-out clause after next season where he can opt out of the Colorado contract anyways, and the Dodgers are in better position than almost every other team to pay that contract if they want to. They can take on almost any money, and they have plenty of prospects that would interest Colorado, I would think. Well, and that one isn't going to cost as much because of the high contract. Uh, they can do the, hey, you know, we're, we see you're in a financial pinch. We can we can help you out. Uh, and uh, we'll take on the entire salary, but that means we're going to give less in prospects. Uh, any Colorado fan thinking that they're going to get, like, massive premium package uh, prospect haul uh, and with that salary, it's just not happening. Especially, Ask the Marlins with Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, that that's exactly the textbook uh, example of how that trade yep. went. Uh, and it was just a, a big market team saying, hey, we can take this contract off your hands, uh, and uh, that will help Colorado for that. Now, the only thing that benefits is the Dodgers are so abundant in their uh, 40-man roster issues uh, that they have that this would help them clear some of that out, and you'll still get major league talent for him. Gavin Lux uh, could be something with that. Uh, uh, you have Dustin May. Like You have some guys that are there that uh, really wouldn't represent, if you were going for like a, a top player like a Francisco Lindor, I don't think either of those are the, the piece for that. They're part of a, a overall package haul, but they could headline a Nolan Arenado type of trade and allow Colorado to reset in different ways. Because there's still, you can say it was COVID-related, uh, but there's still some concerns with Arenado if he's, is he still at that level, as well as Colorado Rocky uh, uh, home field advantage induce. Yeah, and that's that's always going to be the case. If Arenado leaves Colorado, so if you're talking, let's say some fantasy baseball here for a second, if Nolan Arenado leaves Colorado, he goes from being one of the best 15 hitters in baseball to still a very above average and you put him in the top 30, but 
I know that Nolan Arenado has been a first round pick in fantasy for a decade. And I would, if he suddenly went to the Dodgers while he would be in a much better lineup, I won't pitch him till probably the third round because that's while he'll get a more Aubrey eyes. He's not going to hit nearly as many home runs out of Colorado going to Chavez ravine. And I believe he's actually from Los Angeles. Like he's a hometown boy, big fan of the Dodgers going up. So he has a no trade clause. I would expect him to waive that. I don't think anybody would expect like if he's going to the Dodgers, you, you waive that contract and you play with Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, and you're certainly set up to win a championship. The likely scenario is uh, Justin Turner resigns. He's 36. That The age marker is there, but that's the likely scenario. However, uh, the Dodgers have the financial wherewithal. They also have money coming off the books in the next couple of seasons where they would add an increase to maybe one or two years, but then they have the money coming off to just replace it uh, moving forward. So Nolan Arenado does make sense for the Dodgers. Financially, it does make sense. Uh, And I think they have the best uh, roster abundance to put together a solid package still uh, for the Rockies as they retool. Because if Arenado goes, then so will Trevor Story uh, as they do a full uh, rebuild over in Colorado. I sort of mentioned this one. Let's let's talk the other big rumor here, here, and that's Chris Bryant, the other third baseman, former MVP in his own right. And there's two names that keep coming up. Uh, the Nats, as they look to add more hitting around Juan Soto, they've also been linked to DJ LeMahieu. And the Red Sox is more recently that they are looking at Chris Bryant, which I'm not really sure what that would do because I would assume you'd move him, I'd put him in the outfield again because you're not going to move Rafael Devers off third, I don't think. So those are two of the bigger market teams. And we just said the Cubs... Theo Epstein left, Jed Hoyer stayed, but I don't think the Cubs particularly want to keep Chris Bryant that badly because they're sort of starting to rebuild themselves. And I think they're going to push into that now. There's enough transition going where you have guys who only have one or two years left on their contract, and I think you're just going to find out uh, what's the market and then take the best uh, best uh, deal that you can. So I, I don't think anyone is guaranteed to move outside of Bryant. I do believe Bryant's gone. Uh, you're looking at a, a $20 million salary in arbitration. His numbers haven't been that great with injury issues and other stuff over the last couple of years. He is relying on name recognition more than he is uh, on the in the box score. Uh, so with that being the case, uh, it makes sense for them to clear that much money off the, the payroll. I think Kyle Schwarber is the other one that's a lock to go. Uh, and then from there, it just depends what type of offers they get. Uh, but uh, the Nats make the most sense because they have more a, a more clear need at his position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that one works. Uh, I don't know necessarily if they have a, a bunch to trade for him. What that would end up being, uh, the as far as return goes, is a little bit different. But we'll wait and see what uh, what happens there. But uh, this is going to be, I believe, a busy off season once we get going. It's going to be slow at the start. Uh, at the start, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we don't have much uh, until after Christmas, until the end of the new year, uh, as people try to wait out as we get past uh, November, December quarantine, COVID, what happens with that, and how are things looking at the start of the new year and a very busy January uh, leading into a spring training. There will be trades, though. I think that we're going to see that in December when we get to the the meetings. I think those things are going to happen. Free agent market, January. That's just what I'm what I'm I agree. reading the tea yeah. leaves right now. I would agree. Everything is kind of stalled right now as we wait for. We've all heard that by now that you've, there's multiple vaccines 
hopefully coming. Uh, they have to pass and get transported, but hopefully coming. And then maybe things start to go back to normal and people can project that you're going to have more money to spend. And then we'll see some of these free agents go off. But I agree that it'll be a while before we see a lot of the big names start to sign. We've seen Robbie Ray and some others make some signings, but I do not consider Robbie Ray a big name. So we did see some uh, moves happen with DFAs, uh, Renato Nunez DFA'd by the Orioles and Hunter Renfro by your Rays. Anything to say here? Renfro Renfro is going to get uh, uh, with another team with no issues whatsoever. Someone's going to take a, uh, a chance that he puts it all together. Uh, he has 40 homer potential, and, and the, the power of his bat is just the, the Texas-sized hole in the swing that's uh, the issue. Uh, he has recently, as uh, 2019, uh, put together some very good numbers uh, with a, a two fifty two batting average, I believe it is. So uh, overall, the contact wasn't too terrible there, but you have to live with a guy who's going to be in the 25 to 30% strikeout range, but it's going to get you a bunch of dingers. So uh, teams like Cleveland, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Angels, like anyone who's looking for outfield help, he's, he's solid defensively too. So that one makes sense in a lot of different ways. The Rays have a crowded outfield right now, and they're trying to clear some stuff out. And ultimately, uh, Randy Rosarina's uh, ascent uh, leaves uh, less room for others. And basically, say ditto for almost all of that for Renato Nunez, except Ivelay's first. Uh, he's hit 43 home runs the last two years combined for Baltimore. And slugs well, but he has a 314 on base percentage because he's never seen a pitch he doesn't like. Um, pretty poor, poor defender. Here's what I think is going to happen for Hunter Renfro, Renato Nunez. They got to hope and pray that the National League decides to have a DH because then they open up 15 more jobs for him or whatever we're at, 16 more jobs, whatever, how many there are teams. And uh, we Nelson Cruz already said that he's going to wait and see if the NL decides to have a DH because he thinks that he can up his contract a little bit. So some of these guys, if, if their DH comes to National League, you can fully expect to see Hunter Renfro and Renato Nunez next year. So I – I tracked a couple of things. We had the NBA draft this past uh, week, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I happened to come across on Twitter that uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Nelson Cruz that uh, put in a recruitment video oh, for Malik Beasley to uh, re-sign with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so that was intriguing to me from a baseball fan saying you don't normally do those type of recruitment videos. If, if you're going to leave? If you're going to leave. So I reached out to a uh, a Minnesota sports reporter, someone who's in the in the know a lot up there, Darren Wolfson, who works with, uh, uh, I forget the TV station where he's at up there right now, but uh, he's in every spot rumor and everything else and very uh, cordial and easy to uh, engage with on, on Twitter. Uh, and he uh, very much said that the things were not a lock to come back. Uh, that uh, it still depends on on price with everything, and uh, that makes sense even more with Nelson Cruz's comments that he's going to wait to see if the if the uh, uh, demand uh, will increase his uh, price uh, with that. But I, I said it to, it's to me sounded like uh, very confusing or very conflicting things when doing a recruitment video, but then not a guarantee to come back. But that's the reports that are out there right now. I guess if you're Timberwolves fan, you're just happy you have Malik Beasley back, I guess. Although they paid him a lot of money, and then they drafted Anthony Edwards with the first pick overall, which was, I don't know really what they're doing, but once again, another podcast would be the NBA podcast, and the Timberwolves are actually one of my favorite teams. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but uh, 
I didn't like no, their moves. No, I was not you, a fan of their moves. No, you haven't because I'm also a Timberwolves fan. Really? We haven't talked NBA for the most no. part of all the sports. That's true. Uh, and uh, after covering the Wolves for uh, uh, four years, I have uh, uh, an affinity that has stayed with it. And uh, I'm in different... Two minute to sidebar uh, okay, since we're we here. Sure. Two minutes. It's our podcast. That's we can do what we, we do want. Whatever we want. Uh, but uh, the two minute sidebar is uh, there was no big move to be made this offseason. I wanted them to swing for it. I wanted to see something. Uh, but it seems like it's going to be one year away. Uh, what they did do is get their collection of, of assets that uh, Garrison Rosas likes to have and use. And now you have, well, first and foremost, you have to be at least somewhat happy about a Ricky Rubio. Like Ricky Rubio returning. Uh, you know that's not going to move the needle as far as playoffs and wins he necessarily. Just fits so badly with the Angela Russell, it's such a bad fit. I don't and, see how that works. And I think the they need a year for all these assets to play out and decide who they can move. I, I think number one, you still have to give Rosas credit that he found a way to move Andrew Wiggins' contract. So if if, if DJ. Uh, if Russell, D'Angelo Russell, if he uh, can do anything uh, with that, and if his contract is more movable than what Wiggins is, which pretty much anyone's is, you now have salary to match or move for someone else. Whether or not they can actually swing big for Bradley Beal or uh, anyone along those lines, I think that depends upon how good is Anthony Edwards. Uh, and there's more. There was the initial problem of. Uh, uh, with with Edwards, there's too many Wiggins comparisons that were not fair. Uh, no, he's not, and no. and uh, you see his size; he keeps growing. the uh, the uh, The kid is is huge. Yeah. Uh, and the second team for him, if they if they're smart, they won't start him. No. Uh, and no. That means Don't you're looking him. at Ricky Rubio mm-hmm. and Anthony Edwards in that second team unit. Ricky Rubio is going to help his development early on. I think that's where I see the 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 benefits there. Uh, we still need to see how does the the Russell and uh, Towns uh, pick and roll how that works. Uh, Malik Beasley now healthy with those. There's no defense there whatsoever. No. But uh, what you need is just guys to be talented, guys to play well, even if they're giving up points, because someone will see on a better team defense they can take one of those guys and do well. And you just need assets that are tradable. Rosas eventually will get there. We'll see. We'll see. Trust the Rosas. Trust the roses, and that is your NBA portion of the uh, Heater podcast. Uh, as we uh, move into, uh, we have one oh, more yeah, news story. D- here. Uh, so we have DFA's and uh, then uh, uh, arrests. I have, that- I have one more news story here. Yes. So uh, Carlos Martinez was arrested today in the Dominican Republic for violation of social distancing protocols that the DR has in place. So uh, there's a video, or I guess it's a picture, where he's riding his motorcycle and there's mandatory mask wearing protocols and he's clearly not got a mask on. So he was arrested and uh, he's sitting in jail as far as I know. And the Cardinals owe him 11 and a half million. And here's what we know about the Cardinals and their COVID stuff. It wasn't great. They had a big problem with COVID and apparently now it's coming out. Now Carlos Martinez spent some time in the hospital with COVID. Like he had among the worst symptoms of anything we've heard that's as of a couple hours ago. The virus impacted him more significantly than it did many of his teammates. He sought medical attention at a hospital for treatment of his symptoms. So, I, 
we starting to see that people are getting reinfected with it. We thought maybe once you had it once, you didn't have it, but we can see now that that's not necessarily the case. So if the Dominican Republic has protocols in place and he's breaking them, then, yep, I understand why he's in jail. I don't know if he'll post bail, anything like that. It's too new. Hashtag that's so COVID. Hashtag that's so COVID. I like it. So as we look <laughs> at the uh, – uh, let's start with the American League. We're going to go division by division, and we're going to take a look at – uh, each team, as far as uh, one thing we had right, one thing we had wrong, and one thing each team needs as they look at 2021. So why don't we go to the uh, the Wild Wild West, and we'll take a look at, uh, we'll go in the same order that the, in, from the standings. And so let's start right away at the, let's go bottom and go work our way to the top. So let's go Texas Rangers. Oh, let's start with, can I start with one thing we got wrong? Fire away. I'm going to throw you under the bus. Uh, I think we thought that their pitching rotation was going to be better than it ended up being. Now, part of that would be Corey Kluber got hurt, I don't know, half a dozen innings into the season if he even got that far. That was unexpected. Lance Lynn was awesome. Lance Lynn was great for the Texas Rangers. But after that, it was a lot of not a whole lot of not there. So you can't make do with the pitching rotation that they ended up putting out there. Uh, Kyle Gibson was eh, and so pitching wasn't good enough, and that that hurt this team. <laughs> that was my uh, – one of the things I was more sure on that I got wrong uh, was I thought this would be a top five – had the potential to be a top five AL rotation, uh, and it definitely was not. Uh, from injuries to uh, uh, inconsistencies, performance issues, Mike Miner, uh, after having a great uh, 2019 – uh, was it just wasn't there in 2020? There were reports that uh, his shoulder off-season program things just got messed up with COVID, and he just never looked comfortable uh, right, uh, from start to finish. Uh, so that's definitely one that was uh, that got wrong. Probably one of my bigger got wrongs for the season. One thing we got right was I'm just gonna go down to one single player. We both talked about Nick Solak being a hitter. He wouldn't play very much defense, but he could hit. And it was I don't officially I don't think he was actually a rookie this season, but. He did. He, he hit, and it was 268. Doesn't sound great, but two home runs. Played, I believe, second, third, and outfield for them. Had a du- 10 doubles, so 72 run, seventy-two bases. Didn't walk. Only drew 18 walks, but overall stole seven bases. He's a solid player. This is a player that they can choose to build around. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Rugnet Odor. He's the weird one on their team because, as usual, he led the team in home runs and RBIs while hitting a robust. Oh, let me give me a second here. A robust, where are you at, Rugnet Odor? 167. <laughs> so uh, that's a weird player. And so if Rugnet Odor leaves, they can move Nick Solek to second. And he's not going to be a good defender. He's never going to be a good defender. But overall, Nick Solek, we were right. He can hit. And he was, like I said, one of the few that that did. Uh, because the as much as we talk about through pitching, uh, biggest reason for their seller uh, uh, location uh, is an offense that was last in the AL. They were last in runs scored, and the next closest team was 24 runs away. It wasn't even close. Uh, so that leads into one thing that the uh, team needs, and it's it's offense, uh, wherever they can find it. Uh, they have, uh, from Odor to uh, Joey Gallo, these are guys that can hit home runs, but there's just no contact ability, which is why Nick Solak was such a, a refreshing bat in that lineup. Uh, but they need more of it. Uh, so I said I don't think we're necessarily unless there's one that jumps out to you. 
it's not that we're necessarily saying a, a specific player, but mm. just identifying a specific need. And so for them, it's definitely offense. Yeah, absolutely. Get some hitting on that team. We're going to move up the AL West then? We're going to keep yeah, doing the AL West? Or you go? Los Angeles Angels. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, let's do the two things we got right. Let's do something we got right on the Angels. And it's they have superstar offensive players. And they had two of them, and they were everything that was expected. Anthony Rendon came over, started a little slow. In the end, everything you could have hoped for. Nine home runs, 31 RBIs, hit 286, which was low for him, but a solid 2.7 war in 60 or 52 games. Mike Trout, guess what? He's still really good. I believe this is the first time he didn't finish in top four of MVP voting his career, and he could have, and no one would have doubted that and said something's wrong. He is, I just saw the betting odds in Vegas, and he's like odds on so far ahead of every other person for next year's MVP award. It's not funny, and they were incredible. So both those two, a 2.7, 2.6 war, awesome players. Yeah, Rendon as an MVP candidate. Uh, that was my for pick. Being, for being the uh, the excellent uh, addition to the team, and uh, uh, he said that, that one was right. They got that free agent acquisition right, and it can't be understated because there's so many that they've gotten wrong over the years. Uh, so uh, congrats to them for hitting a home run on that uh, on that deal. Hopefully it stays that way. Now what uh, the one wrong. Uh, and, and it was it was a bad omen right from spring training when uh, Shohei Otani walks like what six or nine batters in uh, uh, two thirds of an inning. Mm-hmm. It just became the foreboding ominous uh, uh, issue of what was going to happen, and they pulled the plug on his pitching within the first what four four or five starts. I don't think it made that. I was like two, but yeah, it was I think it was right. rough. Shohei Otani was. Bad and so that was wrong. I mean, he was your, a Cy Young, your Cy Young pick, yep, yeah. Yep, and yep. and this was a team that I picked to win the division. I felt good about it, and it didn't happen. And now I'm, I've got concerns about this team. I think we both think they need more pitching. It starts there. Yes, the uh, you can say they need more offense, but I think they can find a couple of guys. I think uh, Jock Peterson actually makes a lot of sense over here, uh, but pitching is what they need. Whether they go full bore after someone like Trevor Bauer. Uh, or uh, and they have there is money that is coming. It's just a matter of how quickly does Moreno want to spend with that being there. They have thirty million coming off the books with Pujols after this next year, uh, twenty eight uh, after the following season with with Upton, uh, Justin Upton. So there's money that is coming off the books that you could replace just a year early uh, if you wanted to do to go that route. But they need pitching help, uh, and then you can figure out the rest. But the, this team will be spinning in, in, uh, in circles without better pitching. Yeah, that's hopefully it's coming soon because they finished fourth, and you can't ask any more from your two superstar hitters, so you need you need to find somebody else to help you out. And Dylan Bundy was great, but other than that, it wasn't much of anything. Andrew Heaney was ish-ish. Well, and again, there you're seeing some potential – back of rotation or maybe Dylan Bundy could be a little bit more than that. They've started the process. They just need they need an actual big guy at the top of that uh, rotation. They spent big on position players over the last few years. We'd love to see them roll out the red carpet and spend big on, on someone like uh like Trevor Bauer. Uh but uh, Seattle Mariners uh it's a there's a hard one to get something that we yeah. just said right about. But I'll say this. We said they were rebuilding. Now we thought they were going to rebuild and finish last. But the rebuild came quicker for them because they got some production out of players that we didn't think there was going to – Kyle Lewis was awesome, and I can jump right into what we got wrong because I thought Kyle Lewis was going to fall off a cliff after he started off super hot, and, yeah, he didn't hit 290 or 490 or whatever he was hitting after a week, but 
262, 11 home runs, five stolen bases. If I'm not mistaken, he ended up winning them rookie of the year. And so Kyle Lewis is great. That's something we absolutely got wrong. But yeah, I knew Kyle Lewis could be good, but I didn't think he'd be that good. So when I thought they were rebuilding, I thought we were a year away, but Kyle Lewis was great. Dylan Moore was great. He almost had eight, he had eight home runs and 12 steals in that shortened season before they traded him. Austin Nola, JP Crawford. These are young guys who they were going to ask to play a lot. And we knew that. And we know that they have, you mentioned Jared Kalanick earlier with the Mets. Like they have more coming. This is a team that's built for the next few years. Just Sheffield and the rotation getting getting yeah. started and uh, showing that live uh, lefty arm. Uh, I would say the one thing got right is kind of one of the things you alluded to: still wheeling and dealing. That's mm-hmm. still Seattle. Uh, they'll uh, they'll trade anything, not uh, bat uh, batten down uh, over there. And Austin Nola was uh, part of that big trade with. Uh, uh, the San Diego Padres, and they received some solid talent from that too. That's continuing to keep that next wave uh, coming there. Uh, what do you have for one need for them? Because it's still kind of in, uh, kind of a weird thing. They have some stuff, but they're still they're still at least a year away in their rebuild process to be looking at taking it like another step. Ooh, one need. That's a tough one. I would say that if I'm looking at this team. They need more production out of hmm, first base. They need more production. Who was it? Evan Moore? Was that who they all thought was going to be so good? No, not Evan Moore. What's his name? Uh, White. Evan White. They all thought Evan White was going to be so good. We thought Evan White was going to be better. And he struck out 42% of the time. Uh, that ain't going to fly. You can't do that unless you're Joey Gallo and you contact the ball with an extremely high exit velocity. Now, he had a good exit velocity, but 176 average, you can't do that at first base. It isn't going to work, and when you're striking out 42% of the time, that doesn't work. So, he's still very young. They have, obviously, have a great track record of developing players. You can't write him off yet, but Otherwise, you need you need more production at first base. I'll answer it this way: What they need is more building blocks. Sure. So, from the players that are there, who emerges as a key core player for anything that they want to do next? Uh, so, is that uh, uh, do we see Jared Kellenick? Is he uh, here this year? And so I hope we get so. a chance to see that uh, that big part. Is there someone who's already at the major league level? Is it just a Sheffield who shows uh, front of arm talent? front of rotation talent that can uh, help them. So I think it's from what exists now, less than what could be coming from the outside. Uh, You need to see another building block or two emerge uh, to continue that development. How about with the uh, Houston Astros? Well, what we got wrong is I remember myself saying that I thought this team would finish towards the bottom of that division because I thought maybe all of the other off-field issues would creep up, and I thought they could finish fourth or fifth in that division. And obviously that was wrong. Uh, the Houston Astros were still a very good team. Now, yeah, when we were talking about this initially, this was after the Verlander injury that we knew. I said they kept trying to hold off on it, but it sure seemed like it was going to be season ending. Uh, and with him being gone and Cole being gone, you're only left with left with Zach Greinke. Uh, and so with that, I think we were saying with that and all the uh, off season stuff that happened, stick a fork in him. Uh, and uh, that didn't happen. So what we got right, I think if you had to say something we did get right, it would be that some of their hitters showed their resilience. I Now, for a long stretch of the season, Jose Altuve did not. Alex Bregman did maybe not have as good of a year as you expect, but you're not going to be complaining about six home runs, 22 RBIs, even in that short year. But George Springer obviously showed the resilience. Kyle Tucker was as good as he's ever been, and Michael Brantley. So good hitters hit. 
uh, regardless of whether or not you thought they needed the trash cans or whatever, good hitters are going to hit. And so Jordan Alvarez injury hurt them a ton, big time. Like yeah. that was the, and that's what you can look forward to in the upcoming year. Uh, to me, it's the the slow start had right. I figured they would be off kilter to begin with. And they definitely had that slow start. They got a little bit better. They benefited from the extra playoff spots. But you could tell, and that was when we were going through the playoff previews, they said that the challenge that's there with Houston is if they start to wake up, if they realize we could actually get back in this, uh, despite the way the year has gone. And they did, and they went right to one game of the World Series. They were right there. Uh, Carlos Correa went off. Uh, the talent is still there. The offense is still there. I think there's a strong chance they resign Michael Brantley, but uh, if they if they believe he's DH only now, which he went into that role uh, with the injury to Alvarez, that's where he is. So yeah, you may not have room not. for him. Uh, so they're going to have to find someone to go in that outfield because Springer's gone. They're not going to spend the money on him. Uh, you do have Kyle Tucker. There's uh, Granke is still very good. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm jumping here, but to me it's it's pitching. Uh, they mm-hmm. they have a they have a sixty million dollar gap between last year's payroll and where it currently stands. So there's even if they're not going to spend back at that level, there's money to be spent there. That's interesting that you go pitching. I I was going to say obviously they need to figure out their outfield because two of them are going to be gone. I, here's a team that I think if Springer and Brantley leave. Uh, dark horse Marcelo Zuna would fit in really good down there. That would be a really good fit for them. But they're going to need to figure out something in the outfield because I, they don't seem to trust Josh Josh Reddick against anything other than I said right-handers. Yes, he only plays against right-handers, and he's fine at that role. But, yeah, you could certainly add more pitching. Any team could add more pitching. This is a team is would not think Verlander's coming back at all next year. I guess that's the question is, I don't know. I haven't seen anything about Justin Verlander. With with Tommy John's surgery being late. Yeah. uh, I I don't see him being back except maybe at the end of the year, but you definitely can't bank for him at the beginning. I don't think. Yeah. And they they had good pitching. I mean, obviously they made it to a gun game within the world series. So they, they got good pitching or pitched well and Javier pitched well. And you had to hope that they keep it up. uh, uh, Looked good in the, in the postseason. Uh, There's, uh, there's some arms there that are, that are usable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're what I appreciate about Houston is when they have gone out to spend, they have spent it well. They have targeted the right players. Like when they went after Michael Brantley, and I forget why am I not remembering who he replaced? He replaced a big, uh, a big bat, and I just can't think of who it was that he replaced. And they, they didn't miss a beat. Uh, that was a, a perfect two-year signing. Uh, that worked out very well for them, was uh, the the right type of veteran hitter to go into that uh, lineup. Uh, and going after Justin Verlander, getting Zach Reinke, like all of their big moves paid off. And so if they still have uh, that left in their uh, arsenal uh, and there's some money to spend, they're kind of an interesting team to watch to see who they go after. Well, the question is, are they going to have enough to catch the Oakland Athletics here? And yep. Oakland won the division. And I'd say the thing we got right about Oakland is their strength is still in their bullpen. Uh, Liam Hendricks is was the best closer in baseball last year, and now obviously he's a free agent. So that's a big that's a big question with this team. But the strength of this team is a bullpen. Yasmero Petit, Joaquim Soraya, and in the end they ended up adding, you mentioned Mike Miner, because they ended up putting him sort of as the swing man. But they have a very, very deep bullpen, and that's how they win games. They get you to the seventh, and then they – Go from there, and it carried them all year. 
Yeah, run prevention. Uh, third best in the AL. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was definitely one thing that we, we got right. Uh, what would you categorize as the one wrong? Uh, put, we both I had just, us at the high end, so I, we had them winning the division. Uh, I just put Frankie Montas. I was a huge yeah. Frankie Montas guy. I thought that the year before he missed those, was it, he got buzzed for PEDs the year before, and I thought, okay, uh, he, he took them. Uh, he got suspended. I'm expecting him to be just as good, and he pitched to a 5-6 ERA, which is not good comparing to the 2-6 he had the year before. So the FIP was 4-7-4, which is better, but it's not the 3 FIP the year before. So when you look at Frankie Montas's year, it is the massive spike in home run rate, and it's a spike in walk rate. Now he struck out more than ever, so that's great, but you can't walk four guys per nine innings and be successful. So this is a team that tends to figure out pitching. They tend to, I mean, they've got guys like we mentioned, Harry Lizardo. I think you picked him for your rookie of the year. Gonna, but. That's who I was going to pick here, saying he was good, not great. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, had a solid year, but not what they think his ceiling is. What they're what they need out of him. I would agree, and I think that's the thing with Montas. I mean, it's not a terrible year. Obviously, they won a lot of games with these guys. Chris Bassett, Mike Fires, Sean Manaya. These are not massive household names, but I said you just get the lead, and then you trust your bullpen. So if I'm actually picking, like, a need for this team, it's to figure out what you're going to do with the closer role. Are you going to trust somebody new? Are you going to trust Yosemir Petit? Are you going to – I don't think you're going to be able to afford Liam Hendricks because I think that you have a team in the south of Oakland that can drive up the price on a closer – so we'll see what they're going to do at the back end of their bullpen. For me, I put new leadership. Uh, Billy Bean is now uh, gone, uh, and uh, you have a farm system that is bottoming out. It's in the bottom five. Now, that's as a result of all these players being up at the major league level now, uh, but you're entering that key point. This is the team that always depends upon its uh, player development. And uh, you're at a, a precipice right now that you need to figure out and, and get that farm system back up, or you're coming to an end of a run that you may not be able to, uh, that that may lead to a more major rebuild than you have seen uh, at any point than any point under uh, uh, Billy Bean. So that's going to be interesting to see what they do there with with new leadership and, and the direction of can they sustain what Oakland has done for over 20 years now, very impressively. Uh, let's take a look at the AL Central, uh, and we will uh, start with the the Detroit Tigers. Well, I think we got right. Okay, something we got right is I they were in a rebuild. I think we both predicted that it was going to be a race to the bottom between them and Kansas City, and they did. They finished dead last. But overall, if you're a Tigers fan, I think you're pretty happy about what your team. You ended up winning twenty three games, twenty three and thirty five, but. You got a lot of you got to see with some of the young guys. Daz Cameron got up, and guess what? You got a lot more coming. Casey Mize got up. He got Tariq Skubal up, but Matt Manning's coming. Spencer Torkelson's coming. This team is this team is doing the rebuild the right way. Yeah, there's uh, the the development you're seeing it, and we said again one thing we got right. We wanted to see uh, the young pitching. We wanted to see them get. Uh, uh, get some uh, development time at the, the major league level, especially when there's going to be no minor league season. Uh, that was a, a huge success for them. You're seeing the potential talent that is there. Uh, the one thing wrong, uh, I guess I, I'll go with uh, their, their pitcher. Matthew Boyd is, is uh, confusing. Uh, he's someone who... Other uh, Robbie Ray? Yeah. There's When you go back and look at even his very good year, his breakout year, it was only half a year. If you if you break down the splits, 
just he's another. I just cannot. St- Matthew Boyd, Robbie Ray, man, I, they're basically the same person. It's because they walk so many guys and they give up home runs. I just can't stand those types of pitchers. The it seems like he's the type of guy that uh, I'll be honest. I actually wouldn't mind him <sighs> on the Rays, and the reason why is they're better at it's pitch sequencing. When you're striking out that many guys, mm-hmm. and now his walk rate is nowhere near a Robbie Ray rate, which is no, the only reason why I'm saying uh, th- there's something salvageable there because a lefty that throws 95-plus miles per hour, he's got some decent stuff. It's str- swing and miss stuff that's there, but it, it never puts it all together. To me, that says pitch sequencing, and you need a better uh, pitching coaching to, to assist with that, that could help get you back there. But he's definitely a project at this point, and what they got wrong was not selling high when they had a chance with him. They should have they should have done that a long time ago with some other guys. Now, if we're looking at, so I'm looking at the baseball reference page right now, and if we're talking about a team need, ready for these ERAs? Okay, Matthew Boyd, 671. Spencer Turnbull, roll tide, uh, 397. Trick Scoopal, very young, 23, so 563. We'll give him a break. Casey Mize, 23 superstar prospect. We'll give him a break on his seven ERA. Michael Fulmer, 878, and Ivan Nova, 853. When you have one ERA under four and then multiple ERAs over eight, I think you could use some pitching. And, and I think that comes from these guys taking the next step more than it is any sort of free agent thing because this is your future, despite the, the initial look of the stats there. And remember, some of these guys were also brought up without minor league uh, time or usually you get half a season there and then bring you up to the majors so I'm looking at those stats with a grain of salt uh, especially with that young rotation that's what that's what this year is all about let these guys get out there uh, develop uh, learn how to uh, pitch without their best stuff which is always the hardest part you know you look at any sport uh, and uh, I commented by the way yesterday since you're a roll tide guy uh, what I said the biggest thing for Tua Tungvaloa <laughs> Uh, was he? Here's the guy that needs to learn how to perform when he doesn't ha- when he doesn't have his best. And I compared that to a pitcher uh, who doesn't have their best stuff, but still needs to find a way to survive in the game. And that's what these young pitchers with the Tigers need: uh, time to learn. There's going to be times when they have their best stuff and they're just moving the ball wherever they want and crushing guys. You're going to get those. You have that type of talent. That's why you're at the major league level. The good pitchers and especially the great ones know how to not have the topsy-turvy. They can ride out even when they don't have their best stuff because they learn to be pitchers and not throwers. And so that's what needs to happen the most. The biggest need for Detroit this year is those pit, uh, those throwers becoming pitchers. Well, they got, they got some, I don't know who their pitching coach is, but they have some other high-end quality arms to work with. We can say that, Absolutely. Right? Uh, let's move on to the Kansas City Royals here, and they finished the year at 26-34, and 34, and that finished fourth in the American League Central. I believe it was Mike Matheny's first year there, if I'm not mistaken, and one thing we got right was they were going to take advantage of the speed on this team. This team is built around speed. It's been built on speed since they won a couple World Series. Mondesi is obviously the big name there, him and Whit Merrifield. Those two combined for 36 steals. and this team was, I think, fourth in baseball in stolen bases this past season. Yes, fourth in baseball. And uh, I don't see that changing, that they're going to rely on the stolen base anytime soon. I said the one thing we got wrong is Jorge Soler. Or Soler. Uh, here's the home run champ from uh, the previous year. Uh, the numbers just weren't there in the same way. I I don't get Jorge Soler very well. He, 
Okay, so Jorge Soler's deal is two years ago he hits, yeah, he, he he leads baseball in home runs and he also leads them in strikeouts. This past year, his strikeout rate actually drops, not a ton, but a little bit, but the home run rate just almost dries up and the average dries up. So, look, this is a team that's not going to hit a lot of home runs. That's just not the way they're built for. And it's a team that's also rebuilding, clearly. Rebuilding, Alex Gordon retired. They have a hole to fill there. Uh, I don't know if you trust Nicky Lopez at second. He's hit 200 the last couple of years. You have Bubba Starling officially listed in center field. He hit 169. They have a lot of holes. And they're probably not as far along in their rebuild as Detroit. So if I'm like early predicting this, I put Detroit ahead of Kansas City next year because I think they're further along in their development. Agreed. So as far as Soler, they need him to they need him to be their middle of the lineup bat because he and maybe Salvador Perez are like all they have in that case. For the middle of that lineup, absolutely. And uh, you need the guys with speed to be getting on base uh, at the top of it, and those are the ones that have to drive them in. Uh, and, you know, I saw a few Kansas City games this past year, and I will say this about Mike Matheny. He has them as a competitive bunch. They were in a lot of games. I've said it's a uh, fun team to watch, almost yeah. like the Marlins. It's a fun team to watch because of the way they play. And you just need to add talent to it. And uh, so I know this is very broad, but talent in any way you can. When you're at this level of uh, – uh, of a rebuild and at this low of, of a spot, you just need talent anywhere you can. So to me, for any of these types of teams, what you want someone to do uh, is to do the Miami Marlin method. They picked the right veterans on one-year deals uh, that actually propelled them to playoffs. But the other thought was if these veterans do well, you have trade pieces then to help get you younger talent to keep part of the rebuilding process. Uh, so be smart in the one-year deals. Try to be aggressive on the Jesus Aguilar, uh, Corey Dickerson. Like the Marlins did it perfectly this last year, and that's the script. That's what you're trying to do if you're at this level of a team. I just have closer position because Rosenthal's a free agent. Uh, they have in they have interior replacements. They could go to Scott Barlow or Josh Domont, but otherwise you had to, to figure out what you're going to do at the back end of your bullpen. They have found a great way to get those types of players at the end that lead to good prospects and, and trade. From Trevor Rosenthal, Greg Holland before, they had the guys that uh, uh, rebounded well and then helped them at the, the trade deadline. So let's talk uh, Cleveland Indians. Oh, well, let's do the thing we got right, and that's they were going to be a competitive team, and it was going to be because of their pitching. Now, we thought it was going to be Clevenger and Bieber. I, Clevenger was my AL Cy Young pick, and I was close because Bieber won it, so I feel like I get half credit there. But uh, their pitching was amazing, and we saw it. They, they were great all year, and that's what carried this team to the – officially, like they finished third, but they were at different times throughout the year in first place in that AL Central. Now, what did we get wrong? Well, I'm going to start with the fact that I didn't think Carlos Carrasco was going to play this year because of COVID, and – not only did he play, he was very good this year. Carrasco pitched like the Carrasco of a couple of years ago, so he's beaten cancer, and he comes back and throws a 291 ERA. That's that's incredible. And then what else did we get wrong? Well, how about the fact that the offense was – I thought the offense wouldn't be great. I thought it would be average. It was pretty much awful at certain stretches of the year. Yeah, this is a team where they uh, they're at a very – challenging spot of are they going to uh are they going to be able to take another step or is this a full rebuild they're the pitching is dominant uh but if, if you trade francisco lindor uh, which is expected now this offseason uh i don't know what your your offense is already so terrible how do you replace that 
uh, let alone uh, uh, the additions that you you need to make. So yeah, it, that, that's going to be an interesting one as you go into like the one need. Uh, I mean, it's it's offense. They 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 understand pitching, and I'll put it this way: front office assistance with the offense because they've tried to trade for guys Josh Naylor they've tried to trade for Fran Mill Reyes they've done these moves and none of them have panned out it has not helped their offense one lick so whoever is the one that is in charge of player procurement from an offensive standpoint uh, from a trade standpoint anywhere within it they're getting it wrong you need to do something different because the way in which you're doing it is definitely not right I yeah, it's it's all about getting offense to this team. I they can I said I hope they don't trade Francisco Lindor just for competitive balance of baseball, if nothing else. And obviously they need him. Uh, they have two. It's it's so weird because they have two of the best ten offensive players in the game, maybe on this team, in Ramirez and Lindor. And yet the other they can never put players it together. can never. I said I like Carlos Santana. Other than that, the rest of this team is just devoid of offense. Their outfield is horrendous. If you look at their outfield right now, it is. Uh, Jordan Luplo, Delano DeShields, and Tyler Naquin. I can tell you where I'd start building. Yeah, outfield one need is you can just say that as as a whole. Um, what baffles me with this team is this team is chock full of MVP and Cy Young candidates, and yet they could never actually make a deep run with it. Nope. It blows my mind how you could have that type of elite talent and not be able to build uh, around it. Uh, we'll watch what they do in the offseason. They're going to be one of the most uh, fascinating teams to watch as part of it. Here's a, a quick preview of how the next couple of weeks are going to go. Uh, take this as a brief sidewind into that. I think we should I think we should just do the AL today. Yep. I think okay. ne- next week will be National League uh, uh, one right, one wrong, one need. And the following week after that, we'll fire up the hot stove. We'll make our where we see players going. Uh, if it hasn't happened by that point, uh, we'll uh, we'll cover it as it does. But if uh, if we need to really break down the, the hot stove for the uh, movement of uh, of players, that's when we're going to give our predictions of who we think is being traded and where. So there's a preview for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we will uh, continue with our AL Central and then finish up with their AL East here for today. Let's do the anti-whites, the anti-Indians, and in that they have an amazing offense, and that is the Chicago White Sox. They have an incredible offense. Their team is stacked, top to bottom. Grandal, Abreu, Madrigal, Anderson, Moncada, Eloy, Luis Robert, No More Mazar, and Edwin Encarnacion. Boom! That is a really good offense. And guess what? They produced like it all year. This team, you you knew that it was going to be really hard to get them out. Now theirs comes down to the fact. And by the way, that was a right. We got that right. We thought this offense was going to be yeah, good. They're young stars. That's what yeah. I had written down here. Was just the all the players that you were expecting to see do something did. Now what I didn't get right about this team was, I thought that this team would win that division in the end. I I thought I think mid year. I don't know if I said it at the beginning, but I thought this team would come back and win the division, and it didn't happen. They at the very end they got cold. For me, I'm going to say. Jose Abreu's ceiling. Uh, he was uh, you know, rookie of the year. Uh, came over uh, uh, from from Cuba. Has uh, had a fantastic years, but it seemed as if his career was cratering. Uh, there was talk always in the last couple of seasons that you know he was a potential non-tender candidate or a trade candidate uh, with things. Not that he wasn't doing good, but just. Not that level. Then he produces this MVP uh, season, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. No, I didn't I didn't think he had an MVP in him. No, I absolutely not. If, if you'd have told me before the season that somebody on this team won the MVP, 
I'd have said, wow, Luis, or actually, no, I'd have said Eloy Jimenez had a good year, that good, huh? or Tim Anderson. So actually, I wouldn't yep. even put him as the most likely on this team. Uh, quick plug for myself. Nick Madrigal was everything I thought he'd be. Hit 340, yep. Yep. Uh, 340, 103 at bat, 103 at bat, struck out seven times. So that's a lot for him, but quick plug. I was right about Nick Madrigal. And the the one need is pitching. Uh, yep. I think we're, yep. the, the offense is there. Uh, they have a lot of young talent. We're not even going to go into the front, uh, any of the coaching or front office stuff. <laughs> Bottom line is they need uh, pitching, and I think for especially, I'll, I'll say this, for a veteran manager, you need a veteran pitcher at the top of that staff to make things go better. So they need some sort of leadership at the to anchor that staff. Yeah, I'm not sure who that is because yeah. Trevor Bowers. That's not him. Absolutely that not playing n- with Tony Larusa. The worst uh, <laughs> choice. For, except for a great theatrics, I mean, I'd be, an, be and very entertaining to oh, listen to be that amazing, because but. he will never not say what's on his mind. <laughs> and the, actually, the one Drew Smiley signed, I think we talked about it last time, he, he'd have mm-hmm. been a good fit. Not that he's necessarily your top of your order guy, but they'll find someone, I'm sure. Uh, but that's that's I, that's the top need I have, too, is starting pitching. And actually, they need a closer. Alex Colomay is a free agent, too. Lance Lynn. That's, that's the name. That'd I think that'd one. be perfect for them. They have the prospect capital to do it. I'm going to throw another one out there, and that's Blake Snell. Uh, and uh, there's uh, some possibilities. Can you imagine that are Blake there. Snell with Tony Larusa? <laughs> well, there is that. You got to get that money, uh, man. <laughs> got to get paid. Got to get paid. Uh, speaking of those uh, that uh, uh, got pa- getting paid, is actually the one we got wrong with the Minnesota Twins, and that'll be me. So I'll jump into that one. Josh Donaldson. Always, we said that at least give ourselves this if healthy. Right, that was always the key with him. If healthy, uh, he is a dominant uh, player. Uh, I had him picked as the my MVP candidate, and that health wasn't there, and so that was a lot of money for not a lot of revenue. Uh, but it led in, the reason why it didn't matter as much is because what we got right was that amazing offense. Uh, they were able to sustain without him, and Nelson Cruz still continues to obliterate baseballs. Yeah, the offense was incredible. Actually, the other th- I'm gonna say the other thing we got right was the new pitchers too. The new yep, pitchers yep. were all Kenta Maeda came over and they- we talked Kenta Maeda up on this podcast a lot. Two seven ERA and I think it was officially second in Cy Young voting. Incredible, Rich Hill. I talked about my love for Rich Hill for a long time on this podcast. How when he pitches he's great, and yeah, he once again he got 38 innings, which isn't enough, but 303 ERA, great. So. There's a reason this team won. They're very good. They're still going to be very good next year. I don't know if they'll be better than the White Sox. It's going to be fun to watch that because when you look at these two teams, this team seems to be more veteran-laden, and it's not like they're old. I don't want to say well, these guys are so old, but they're a little more veteran, and you, you know what you're getting. And then there's the White Sox, which are kind of the fun – or were the fun-loving young team. You don't know what you're going to get with them other stuff. But uh, it, these, these two teams should continue to be the class of the AL Central next year. And when you are such a well put together team, uh, your needs become like for the one need becomes a little more limited, a little more specific, and it's closer. It's uh, that's what you're looking at with uh, uh, with uh, the, the Twins. I think some at the late innings of bullpen, uh, I mean, you could still try to fit in another starting pitcher, absolutely. But I, I think it's bullpen here. I just said make sure that you pay Nelson Cruz. That's what I said. Make sure you pay Nelson Cruz. You do not want to lose your – we, we talked about him earlier. You don't want to lose Nelson Cruz. I don't care what it costs you. If I'm the Twins, I'm bringing Nelson Cruz back to play DH for me. He is the uh, the engine that drives that very good offense. I agree with that completely. 
as we shift into the uh, AL East, uh, we'll start with the, the Baltimore Orioles, who mm. were the pleasant surprise. Not also not the bottom. Oh, that's Boston, true. Red Boston Sox got the them ahead of them. That's true. Boston. Right, let's, let's do Boston. I'm taking first. that also to right for us because we said this is a rebuilding year for the Red Sox. I think we thought they would yep. finish last with ba- yep. Baltimore, but we're starting with the bottom with Boston and. It was a rebuilding year. Absolutely. We called it. And you know what we got right about him? Their pitching was god-awful. It was oh. the worst. It was so bad. Their pitching was terrible. And we said, this pitching, we, we saw before the year, man, these pitchers don't look good. And it got worse. The the pitching was absolutely atrocious. Uh, calling it a dumpster fire is being too kind. Uh, this was, <laughs> I mean, you had, uh, again, injuries even more came up. It was suspect to begin with. And this was the perfect storm of, of bad things happening. You lose Chris Sale, you, Eduardo uh, Rodriguez uh, to COVID-related uh, health issues, uh, and there was no depth. Uh, Nathan Eovaldi uh, had, had yo-yoing with uh, injuries and DL stints, and the rest of it was just uh, uh, atrocious, the worst pitching that you're gonna going to find. And it showed in the box score, uh, uh, game in, game out. So uh, we, were, we were definitely right on the suspect uh, pitching. Uh, I don't know if we can say much wrong other than J.D. Martinez just wasn't uh, – it just wasn't there. Okay, so if there's two players that I, I remember mentioning as part of their offense that could keep them afloat, and one of them was J.D. Martinez, and the other one was Andrew Benatendi, and they were horrendously bad this year. Specifically, Benatendi was awful to the point where eventually they put him on the DL, and I think they basically said, okay, you're on the DL for the rest of the year because you got to figure this out because he hit 103 in his 14 games. And J.D. Martinez in 54 games at 213. So if we're talking about what does this team need going forward, it's you got to figure out what you got in these guys because you're paying J.D. Martinez a lot of money, and he cannot hit 213. You need him to be maybe not Nelson Cruz good this year, but you need him to be competitive to be in the best D.H. in baseball for what they're paying him. And he should be. Like, There's nothing like as I pull up to try to take a look at stats under, under the hood, uh, you know, this seemed very out of character. He was always considered the, the best DH uh, right in, uh, in baseball sure. with, with Nelson Cruz. And if I've I've looked at that StatCast page as you're pulling it up, and from what everything I've seen, his exit velocity strong. He still barrels the ball hard. It was slightly unlucky. Now, maybe he's never back to being the J.D. Martinez who almost wins MVP awards, but this is still an above-average player, and I expect at least a regression to the mean. There are some concerns as you look at this, though. It's his lowest walk rate in uh, four years. Uh, his strikeout rate did tick back up to just under 25%. That's the most in three years. Uh, the exit velocity was down a full two miles per hour, which that is significant uh, at that stage. Now, especially for this reason, at his peak 2018 year with the Red Sox, uh, when he hit 43 home runs, 130 RBI, uh, his exit velocity was at 93 uh, miles per hour. It went down to 91.4, which was in line with his normal career average the following year, but then down to 89.5 uh, the following year. There's three-year trends that you never like to see. Uh, and when you see that type of progression, uh, that makes you concerned. Now, the 259 BABIP was uh, over 100 points lower than normal for him. So there's some positive regression coming, but I think you can legitimately question whether or not he's going to be a top DH uh, as he has been in his career. Solid sure. but not great might be the projection. Sure. I, I can I can get by. I said, I don't think, at this point, obviously, you're taking Nelson Cruz, right? Nelson Cruz just put it together. You're taking Nelson Cruz. I can think of probably a few other DHs if I sat and thought about it for a while that I prefer, but... 
I don't think we're seeing the bottom out with like the White Sox had Edwin Encarnacion and he bottomed out last year. I don't think JD Martinez is just done, and I have real concerns that Edwin Encarnacion like is. Well, and, and JD Martinez is only thirty three, going on thirty four. There should still be a couple of years left in that bat. I know that he's talked about the fact that he couldn't watch film or whatever they call it watch at bats while you're in the dugout as being because of COVID protocols was, was tough on him. So get back to a more normal setting and maybe he's, I said, maybe better bounce back year should be expected. I just don't think he's going to reach that uh, top three DH status anymore, but a positive bounce back is definitely expected for 2021. Let's move on here to the team that I would say we got the most wrong on. If I'm saying this, I think Baltimore, we both thought Baltimore was, Dead set to be the worst team in baseball. Lucky to win. If you'd have told me that they won 20 games, I'd have said, wow, that's a really good year for them. And they ended up going 25 and 35, which is just incredible. And more power to them. That's awesome. I was absolutely dead wrong. Baltimore was a much better team than I gave them credit for. We didn't see the type of young talent uh, that emerged during this year. Anthony Santander. Uh, awesome. And uh, there's others that uh, jumped out as part of this that were pleasant surprises. I think the one need is, let's see it again, roll it. Uh, you need to come back and show it in a non-COVID year. Is that talent sustainable? Was it a one-year fluke in a short season, or is it actually there? So I think that's the, the, the one need, is just needing to see that. Uh, Baltimore is interesting as far as... Again, they have money coming off the books as well. They have uh, $18.5 million coming off the books after this upcoming year. And then Chris Davis is finally off the list the following year, $23 million there. This is a team that has spent money before, and you're talking about over $40 million coming off in the next two seasons. Uh, you have a chance to supplement it. That's why I said this year is about the young talent you have. Can Trey Mancini, you want to see a comeback player of the year with, with uh, uh, the COVID, or not COVID, excuse me, cancer issues that he had. He's saying he's uh, uh, now in remission. Uh, to see him next year would be very awesome and uh, with the rest of this lineup. Okay, quiz time. Ready? Yeah. Three-year three year total here. So 2018 to 2020, Chris Davis has been up 829 times. Oh, no. How many hits we got? 800 times. So that would mean if we're saying even a 250 uh, batter, you're talking about 200 hits. That's what 250 would be. I'll give you a hint. That's less. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that phone a friend to help there. Uh, Let's go with uh, 125. It's a little better. 140. So he's up to, he's at 169. Now, 829 at bats. How many times he struck out? Again, so again, 25% uh, would be uh, 200, uh, and I'm guessing that's low. So I'm going to go 240. Uh, 348. 348. You're talking almost 50% of the time this boy's striking out, making $27 a year, I think. Is roughly? Am I right on that? Uh, Uh, Something uh, like that. Seven years, $160 So eh, About 23, 25 in that range. That's like the American dream right there. It's uh, <laughs> got to make that bank, uh, and uh, he has uh, done that well. Uh, but anyways, Baltimore has this money coming off the books. They're they're definitely intriguing now more than they were a year ago. Uh, I said I want to see that young talent come back. Pitching is going to be a challenge again. If you can wherever you can add any talent is uh, is good here. But uh, if this young team shows con- uh, consistency uh, from what was shown this year. 
I think you're going to feel a lot more excited about Baltimore going into the 2022 season, uh, 22 off season, uh, with money available and uh, talent showing. You have to be excited now. I mean, it, if you're looking through this lineup, so it was Pedro Severino was 26. Uh, Ronaldo Nunez, we're not going to mention because he got DFA'd, but Hans Alberto 27, Velasquez 25, Rio Ruiz 26, my boy Ryan Mountcastle 23, Cedric Mullins 25, and Anthony Santander 25. It's a young team. It's going to be better next year. You hope, you hope, you know, it's not everything is linear, so you can't just say all these guys are going to get better. Some of them could very well regress back, and that's to be expected too. But overall, it's it's a team that was obviously better than we expected, and who knows? Who knows? Let's talk one of the most, uh, the other most exciting teams in baseball that we were in, intrigued to see uh, going into this year, and that's the Toronto Blue Jays. We had them up there with the White Sox, and uh, uh, as teams that might be ready to make a, a move, I think one thing we can say is we had them predicted as being the third best team uh, in this uh, division. Uh, and this was still when they were giving uh, Boston a little more credit going into this past year. And we said, no, Toronto is the, the third best team. And they can push for second. Absolutely. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. And I'm going to just cut it down to one player that we were dead right on. And once again, we're going back to the Dodgers and their boy, Hyunjin Ryu. Hyunjin Ryu, we talked Hyunjin Ryu and said this is, I think, the best signing in this division, money for money. And 269 ERA, 5-2, 67 innings. He only gave up 20 earned runs all year. That's awesome. Like, you're, you're switching divisions in the weirdest year ever. You're getting used to a new thing. You don't even get to play in Toronto. You had to play in... Buffalo and incredible, just a perfect fit. You just want the the Blue Jays fans not to rate Ryu based on his last start, uh, his, mm-hmm. his postseason start. The rest of it was good, and that's someone you need at the top of your lineup. It was a great signing, and hope that it stays that way. Uh, what's one thing we got wrong? Oh, that's a that's a tough one with this team. It is. If, if I'm saying one thing we had wrong on this team. Mm. I'm going to say I highly doubted that Bo Bichette was going to hit 300. I remember talking about Bo Bichette's ridiculous babbit from the year before. Let's see if I can pull it up here quick. Bo Bichette. His babbit the year before was 368, and everybody said he hit 311, and people were like, oh, Bo Bichette, he's incredible, man. And I said, yeah, okay, he's really, really good, and I still think he's really good. And somehow he hit another 352 babbit and hit 301. So I did not see Bo Bichette as this top, unbelievable can't miss prospect I thought he'd be very very good he's better than I thought he was more of the young talent taking another step collectively it isn't like normally you see like a sophomore slump or someone scaling back you really didn't have that all of these guys continue to show that high-end talent and taking that next uh, step up and they had uh, Tiasco Hernandez stepped up out of nowhere that was the one that we didn't expect I mean we can save Vlad Guerrero and Kevin Biggio Bobichette but the one that I didn't see was Tiasco Hernandez and suddenly he had a 16 home run uh, six steal season while hitting 290. If you get you get that type of production out of a player you didn't expect, well, you're going to be even better. And you have a team. If you look at one need, it's really just swinging for the fences. Uh, what big impact player can you add to this group? That's not Robbie Ray. That's yeah. It was close. It was close. <laughs> I was I was almost going to say him, but I'll, I'll hold back. Uh, Francisco Lindor. This is the spot that I think he goes. I think this is where he lands. Uh, this is the splash they need. Uh, and they'll move people around to, to make it work. They have young talent. They can move in all different spots. I think that's the one that's uh, intriguing because I also think they can re-sign him. Uh, they have money here, uh, and if they're now at a playoff level, I think they're ready to spend for some of these key guys in order to, to do that. 
It makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that one too much, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think the key is anyone that's going to actually look at spending on him, uh, it's going to be can you resign him? Uh, and if you can't, you're not really going to bother at, at this point. Uh, New York Yankees coming off their big splash, Garrett Cole. Uh, and I'm going to say the one thing I got right with the Yankees is, uh, besides saying the Rays were better, uh, and you can you say did. that's homer all you, you want, you but right. I, I was consistent with that all along. But I said he's not going to be the Garrett Cole of 2019 uh, because that was a career year. You can't measure that, but that's how he was being rated at. And when you're paid what he's paid, you're expecting that. His ex-FIP was a full run more from 2019 to uh, to 2020. His exit velocity increased from 87.6 to 90.4. That's a sizable jump, uh, evidenced by the fact that he got hit hard by the home run ball. It's, yep, that's what it, that's what it comes out is the home runs, and that's partially because he's now pitching in the world's tiniest ballpark. Not maybe not officially, but it is a home run hitter's haven, and so he's he's going to give up more home runs there. Anybody who thinks that he's not is just fooling themselves. Now, still an excellent pitcher. Don't absolutely. get me wrong. Seven and three on the year. I'm not going to sit here and say that it was a bad signing or they didn't get their money's worth this year. You can't complain about what the if you're a Yankees fan, you cannot complain about what you got out of Garrett Cole. But is he going to be 25 or whatever he went the year before? Probably not. The, the challenge that's going to come because of that ballpark, because of the extra things that are there, uh, because of what he's making and that environment, that is still a storyline that I'm following this next year. When he gives up four or five runs in a game, when they expect him to only give up one or two. And again, it's unrealistic expectations for most of this, more than it is actual performance. But on some of those games that are there, uh, Yankees fans are restless. That media is ruthless. Uh, and that's a hard one to do. Can he withstand that type of scrutiny and pressure? Uh, I think he can, but I think it's going to be a very challenging year this next year yet for him. Yeah, I, I think he'll be okay there. I, I really do. He's got 30-some million reasons why not to really care about what anyone else thinks. Here's my one thing that I think the Yankees need, and I'm just going with the word health. They've had so many injury-prone players, whether it's – we can say Santa and Judge, and absolutely they're injury-prone, and then you go to their pitching, and now technically Tanaka's not on their team right now, and James Paxton, but they were there last year, right? So they have to fill those positions in. So you could say pitching maybe, but this is a team that – they just have got to find players that they can rely on more than they've been able to rely on Stanton and Judge. Or this, is, this is more of a, uh, again, getting to that crossroads point for the Yankees than you might have expected. With uh, you know, the Garrett Cole signing the previous year, it looks like things are going to head uh, in a positive direction, but the cons- the continuing injuries is a challenge. Uh, and then you have all the free agents. There is nothing on pitching outside of him uh, that's under contract uh, right now. Uh, uh, they're getting Severino back from injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the big help there. Uh, but otherwise, everything else is out in the open. DJ LeMayhew, if they want to keep him, it's going to cost because there's a couple other teams that are ready to pry him away, and you're looking at well over $20 million a season for him for, my guess, is four years. I think his price uh, now versus what it might have been last year, uh, that price has gone up, uh, and he's a key cog for that uh, that lineup. So I think there's a lot of questions there that we'll, we'll wait and see how that goes. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays at the top of the uh, uh, the division there. Uh, what we'll say we got right is uh, the health of the pitching. We said would be very good. If, if their health is there, this team is going to do what it really does. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I think we just said the top three in the rotation were going to be the, the big three that mattered here, and that's they essentially stayed healthy all year. 
Tyler Glass now, Blake Snell, Charlie Morton. They missed a little bit of time, if I'm not mistaken. All of them missed a little bit of time, but they were there at the end when they needed them most, and they came through. And we said this is probably the best three pitchers in that division. We've been saying it all year. Now, Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in that division, hands down. But as far as depth, they have it. The, the Rays had it, and it's what carried this team all year. The depth of the rotation, the depth of their team is what pulled this team through. And for what went wrong, I'm going to go at it from this angle. I'm going to say Randy Arosarena from the fact that we've talked about their minor league system so much. We've talked about uh, Wander Franco. We've talked about the depth of this team. We've barely said a thing about Randy Arosarena uh, as being based on the year that he had. I'm not knocking us for not having him there. It was insane to see, but it's just a way of acknowledging just how much he blew through everything to be uh, uh, such an elite player in, in the postseason and, and down the stretch. Yeah, my one went wrong was Austin Meadows. I thought Austin Meadows yeah. was going to be the best. I thought Austin Meadows could have. You would have told me Austin Meadows had the year that Randy Rosarena had in the end with seven or you know, 10, 12 home runs and eight steals or something like that. I said, yeah, that, that's possible. Sure, I can see it. And it, it just wasn't there. He's he had an on-base percentage under 300 this season and barely – track the Mendoza line so from COVID to oblique there was uh just yeah. and when he was healthy in there it, it wasn't there and this was a top five bat versus right-handed pitching the previous year uh, so that is uh, something very uh, interesting there as far as uh one need uh replacing Charlie Morton if you don't resign him because uh, you need that big three uh this team looks more vulnerable if you only have Blake Snell uh and uh Tyler Glasnow and like I said there's still issues potentially on on Blake Snell, does he stay? Is he traded? It, again, this would be a move that they would make on their own. They don't have to move him, and uh, financially, they don't have to move him either. Uh, but it's, it's either a catcher or replacing Charlie Morton is what you're looking at. My need is just, what are we going to do with Nick Anderson? Is Nick Anderson as good as he was in the regular season, or is he as bad as he was in the postseason? You just got to fix Nick Anderson is what I'm going to say, because he was as good as any relief pitcher in baseball until crunch time. The Rays use their bullpen more than anyone else, uh, and you can't expect him to be... He's not that type of horse in the stable. Well, let's put it that way. Uh, he is someone who, uh, if you ask him to do one inning, uh, he'll get you there and he'll be dominant. When you ask him to do multiple innings, and that's been the case, that was the report on him even when they had traded for him. He got overextended, he got overused, and then his arm fell flat. Uh, so I think you just have to w monitor the workload of Nick Anderson, and he can still be an elite reliever for you. Well, we'll see. And that uh, takes care of our, our American League uh, uh, recap and a uh, small preview as we look into the offseason here. Next week, we'll take a look at National League and do the, the same thing. And then two weeks from now, we'll give you our big hot stove preview on where things are looking for the uh, teams looking to make the big splash or big trade. So with that, uh, we'll see you next week.